Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Road to Medical Sales podcast. It is our mission to help share the experiences of those who have broken into this incredible industry and find out how they did it. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and family so we can continue to grow and help others. Today, I am excited to talk to my good friend, Aaron Masiak. Medical sales is a small world. Aaron and I have run into each other constantly throughout the years at different hospitals and have even had the chance to work next to each other with the same surgeon in the OR. We become good friends throughout the years. Aaron is the trauma team lead for Zimmer Biomet in Phoenix, Arizona. Looking at 2020, The Arizona team is ranked number two in the nation for total sales growth, which is very impressive given this industry has been massively impacted by COVID-19. He broke into the industry after becoming an inventory control specialist for Zimmer. He provides a unique perspective about breaking in, gives us a glimpse into the world of trauma sales, and is just an all-around great guy that I really respect. Aaron, Super excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time. I know you just got it done with three Sunday surgeries with your doctor, so I'm just grateful you made the time to do this. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on here. Pretty exciting, man. It's going to be a good time. So let's start from the beginning. How did you break into this industry? Walk me through that journey because your story is just a little bit different. So I had no idea what medical sales was. (laughs) I was working the worst job I've ever had. I'm not going to name the company. We'll just call it Bullseye. So they did home goods and stuff like that, you know, electronics, clothes, all the above. And I worked in their warehouse and I did it in the summer and it was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Worst job I've ever had. So it was like Monday and I was going to get my coffee on my way to, you know, my shift, the last shift of the week. And I was just complaining to the barista saying, I do not like this job. And she goes, well, my son just quit his job at this company called Zimmer at the time. You know, he makes X amount of money and it's a warehouse and he doesn't have to do this or doesn't have to do that, whatever it was. And I said, okay, great. So next day, as soon as I got off work, I Googled Zimmer, couldn't find it. And I was like, okay, Zimmer Scottsdale, pulled up the number, (laughs) made a phone call. And I said, hey, I heard you're looking for somebody to, you know, to work in the warehouse. They said, we haven't posted that job yet. And then I said, well, are you looking? He goes, yep set up the interview, and I started working back in the warehouse. That's awesome. Yeah, that <laughs> was pretty random. The office manager was kind of like, how'd you find this out? <laughs> I just complained to a lady at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> From there, I was there for probably around three years, and I was what was called like an inventory control specialist, whatever it was. So I was the guy who put cases together for surgeries when the reps added them on. I also delivered the trays, and I also picked them up, and you know the implants and all, all the above, reset the trays. And it was probably the second week I saw one of the reps pull up in a Mercedes and he was wearing really nice clothes. And I was like, yeah, okay. All right. What's this rep stuff? I don't even know what this entails. I didn't even know that this industry existed. And then from that moment on, I was like, this is what I'm doing. So I was going to school at the time for computer science and I actually (laughs) quit and was like, I'm going to be a rep. From that moment on, anytime they had cadaver labs, anytime I had downtime, I was watching videos. I'd go to the cadaver labs. I just try to learn as much as I could about Zimmer in order to, you know, be marketable for them to be a rep. So you are the first trauma rep we have brought on. Tell our listeners about the nuances of being in the trauma division of this industry, pros and cons. What do they need to know 
if they're interested in trauma? You're going to work. I mean, that is number one. You're going to work. The schedule is hectic. It is what it is. It's the nature of trauma. You know, these patients aren't calling their doctor a week before breaking their femur, say, hey, about Tuesday, I think I'm going to break my femur. I hope everything is ready. This is stuff that just comes through. You may be called one o'clock in the morning. You may be called, you know, six o'clock in the morning and you, you got to go. Could be a Saturday, could be a Sunday, could be Christmas, could be Hanukkah, could be whatever it is. You have to go. I know it sounds like a con, <laughs> like a big con, but it is a very time consuming position. It's something that is hard to make plans and it's hard to do certain things and plan ahead when you have this hanging over your shoulder that you're probably going to get called in. If you have the right mentality and like the right drive, I think trauma is great. I mean, at least for me, they're super interesting cases. You know, I've done spine, I've sold orthobiologics, I've done total joints and total joints are, you know, they're pretty cookie cutter unless you get into like the complicated revisions. You know, it's you cut the femur, you cut the tibia, you go through, size them, whatever, and, and you smack the implants in. But when you get a, a polytrauma in, you know, you're looking at these broken bones and it's a puzzle piece, man. You get x-rays sent to you by surgeons and you look at them, you're like, okay, so <laughs> are we going to nail this? Are we going to put a, you know, plates in? Are we going to have to do this? Are we going to have to cable this? What are we going to have to do? That's a part of the job that I actually truly enjoy is sitting there and being able to look at an x-ray and say, okay, now what can we do? What's plan A? What's plan B? What's plan C? To me, it seems a little more fulfilling than when I was doing total joints. I like doing total joints. I like the doctors I worked with. But when it comes down to trauma, there's no other feeling when getting a big polytrauma, really blasted up femur and just watching these guys work. They are incredible to watch them put these pieces back together. Well, it constantly challenges you. Yeah, absolutely. You can say some cases are the same, you know, like a short nail is a short nail. doesn't really change much from you know one to the other, but you can still kind of get into the weeds on those. So it's pretty cool to have these things come in and just have to work on the fly or, you know, you're sitting there and like plan A just falls apart you know, for whatever reason. And then you got to have plan B up and you got to have plan C up and be that voice in the OR be like, Hey doc, I have this, I have that. Which one of these options do you think is best for this and run out, grab whatever you have to do and then just move forward with the case. To me, that's a pro. Makes you seem like you're doing something you know, rather than just sitting there and opening a box. Uh, the size F femur. Okay. Expiration 2027 pop. So going back to what you were saying earlier, I've always heard of going to the movie theater with your significant other and bringing two cars yep. is pretty accurate. Very accurate. If you have a good team of guys, you tend to split up your call. What we do on my team is an A call, B call. Now, it doesn't always work that way. So typically A call, they take every single case that comes in. Now, B call is there in case another case adds on while A call is in a case. So B call is there to run trays, is there to cover cases that has to happen, but then there's also technically a C call, which we don't call it C call, but many times A call and B call are busy. C's got to come in. So if you can get that good balance, a good team will have some time off. You know, you'll rotate what time that you have off, like guaranteed. So the two cars is a good idea. Yeah. We're going to spend a lot of money on Uber. <laughs> <laughs> so you worked your way up to the lead trauma rep for Zimmer Biomed in Arizona in about four years. Now that you have some say in that hiring process, what are some characteristics that you would look for in a teammate, you know, and an associate rep that you're about to hire? I'll just correct one thing, Phoenix, not Arizona. So when I look at somebody who is interested in becoming a trauma rep, I learned this from my trauma manager, the guy who hired me. I'm going to try and talk him out of it. 
I'm going to tell them exactly how bad it sucks. If you value your free time, this is not the job for you. This is not the position for you. You're going to be running around doing this, doing that, doing this. And one of the big things that people don't really look into when they first come into trauma is there's trays. So these instrument trays also have implants in them. When you do a total knee, eh, I've got other trays. It's a Monday. I don't have a knee until Wednesday, so I can reset them Tuesday. No, you are there to reset that tray. If you don't have backups, it has to go up immediately after the case because this is a trauma. You don't know when it's coming in. So I want somebody who understands that, has the drive, has the work ethic, has the ability not only to understand how important what we do is, but has the drive to say, okay, if this patient was my mom, how would I handle this? So I want them to kind of put themselves in that position. So... I don't want a guy who's going to be like, you know what, whatever. I don't think it's going to come. You know, we're not going to have a case. No, you need to get back there. You need to set this tray up. And they need to understand that importance. That's a huge part to me is work ethic, which I guess that all falls under is work ethic. Another thing is they got to be personable. So if you don't look at me or you don't want to talk or you're quiet, which I got a good story about that. But if you're quiet, you got to be that person to speak up. There are certain instances where you're going to have to speak up in a case. And if you can't do that, Probably not a good fit. Yeah. <laughs> it really isn't a good fit if you can't speak up and be a voice in, a, in the room. And if that's talking to me about a job, I think that translates over to when you got a surgeon looking at you and the entire OR is looking at you to answer a question or something's going on and you can't speak up one-on-one, -on -one, it's probably not going to work out too well. You can't shy away under your mask. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can hide the look on your face, but that's about it. You know, I don't want somebody who is afraid to say, I don't know. And I don't want somebody who's afraid to take the blame. I tell the guys who work on my team and anybody who asks me about medical sales or like, you know, when they're brand new and they're in the industry, I tell them that I don't know. Let me find out. Is it the right answer in a lot of cases? The last thing you want to do is have that ego and say, oh, yeah, it's this and be wrong. No, I think a surgeon will respect you way more to say, I don't know. Give me a second go through whatever channel you have to do to figure out the answer to that question. And I think that's huge. A lot of people have problems doing that, especially if you have type A personalities, which the majority of sales reps are <laughs> type A personalities. If you don't have the ability to, you know, humble yourself in those moments, it's just not going to work out long-term. I love that. So in your eyes, how important is someone's work experience background? You know, do you agree that not having sales experience is a red flag in the hiring process? I don't because... I mean, I technically had some sales experience in my background. I managed a guitar store when I was in high school. So that was one of my first real jobs is selling guitars. And then I worked as an estimator for a construction company as soon as I got out of the military. And that had a little bit of selling component to it. But I've got a guy who works on my team right now who is just awesome. His name's Guillermo. He was a scrub tech. And this guy had zero sales experience. None. He was a quiet kid and coming back to, you know, if you can talk to me in a room, he really couldn't, but I saw something in the guy and he had mentioned that he wanted to be a rep. And so we got him kind of in the process. And, you know, over the years, he's built that sales ability. I think that's something that is very teachable. And as long as you have the personality, you have the work ethic and you have the drive, the sales will come later because yeah, you can get some guy who's like a, top salesman over at enterprise or name company, whatever company. And if they don't understand the product, if they don't understand the procedure, if they don't understand the competition, how are they going to sell anything? You have to learn those things first. You have to learn what our product does, 
You have to learn what our competitor's product does. You have to learn what type of fractures they're using this product for, you know, what, whatever it could be before you can actually be an effective salesman. And that doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen in three months. It doesn't happen in six months. So I don't think being a big time sales guy in the back in your previous jobs is necessarily a must for me when it comes to hiring somebody. If you have good core values, then you can be molded into the person that you're looking for. You can't teach values and morals. You can't teach that. I mean, you can, but it's more a nature thing when it comes to your morals and your work ethic. You just can't really teach that. You can teach products. I can teach you what to say. I can teach you, this is why my product is better than XYZ. This is why you should use it on this. But you can't teach somebody to answer that phone at one o'clock in the morning and get out of bed and go. And do it with a smile on your face. I don't know if it's necessarily always a smile, but <laughs> not even on me. But Good point. You know, you know, it's not necessarily a smile. It's more like, ah, all right, let's go. Nice. <laughs> you and your team moved up to number two in the nation in total revenue during these extremely difficult COVID-19 times. That is quite an amazing accomplishment. What do you think allowed your team to excel? The entire Arizona team had a huge portion. Obviously, they had all the you know credit for that. But I think I had a good group of guys down here in Phoenix, which we did contribute a lot to that number. It's just having the guys that I have working for me, Guillermo and Nick, you know, having them do things the correct way, having them making sure that our surgeons got the support that they needed to get. And then because we've been doing that for as long as we have, we got a lot of surgeon support. So with that certain support, our business started increasing and it just kept going up. And then, you know, you get other surgeons who work with these surgeons and kind of see the results that they're getting from, you know, their surgeries, their cases, whatever product they're using of ours. And they see the type of service that we're giving them and they kind of perk up a little bit and they start, you know, hey, uh, I have this case. What do you have for this? And, and that's just kind of how it rolls. And that's really what helped us is, I'm going to say 90% surgeon support. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like word of mouth. Yeah. And it's just putting your head down, doing the work, making sure it's done correctly. And now I'm not saying I do everything correctly all the time, but I strive for it. And I make my guys strive for it. But being able to have a reliable rep who shows up on time, shows up with the right stuff, knows what they're doing and then becomes an asset in the operating room, it's going to spread the word on kind of how this company's doing this, how this rep's doing this, how this team's doing this. That had a lot to do with our growth. So do you have any final advice for people trying to break into medical sales? I was told no a number of times. I can't even count how many times I was told no. And the one thing that you should have deep down inside you when you want to be a sales rep, and I think you should have it at all points in life, whether you're a sales rep or whether you're taking tickets at a Harkins theater, the ability to hear no and not let it crumble you. So the ability to deal with failure, you're not going to get that sale every time. You're not going to get that position every time. You're not going to get what you want at all times. This the whole thing, it's a numbers game. You know, if you talk to 100 people, you might have two or three interested. What you can't do is let that other 97 stop you from going after that other three. So that is a huge, huge asset, I feel, for somebody who's trying to break into something. Somebody who's trying to do sales, somebody who's trying to do anything throughout life is just don't let that no and that failure determine the rest of your life in a negative way. Let it feed you. Let it fuel you. Okay, well, that guy said no. Why? This girl said no. Why? What was it that did not make me that number one candidate? What was it that the surgeon didn't like 
out of my product. What was it that I said? What was it that I did? Was it how I did this? So don't let that just drag you down. Let it actually teach you and learn so you can actually move up and figure out what it was. And then the next guy you talk to, you got that problem solved. You're just a down to earth, humble dude. And I truly enjoyed having you on. And I think that this message is just going to help a lot of guys and gals trying to break into the industry. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. I appreciate it, man. You're just the rock star. And the fact that you're doing this for people, you and I, we didn't have something like this. I had to talk to a Starbucks barista whose son worked in the industry to understand. <laughs> I had to hate my job so much that I talked to a Starbucks barista in order to figure out what medical sales was. So I'm just picturing that. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's Get, a, getting my latte like, oh man, this job sucks. I need a new one. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, Scott. Thank you, man. I'm going to leave you with a little food for thought and something to take with you for the rest of the day. Andrew Carnegie once said, teamwork is the ability to work together towards a common vision. The ability to direct individual accomplishments towards organizational objectives. It is the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results.